Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. If you're a coffee drinker, I have some important information you need to know. You see, coffee is the number one source of antioxidants people are consuming all around the world. It's rich in chlorogenic and caffeic acid, which stabilize blood sugar, support your gut health, and improve your brain. But there is a dark side to coffee. It often carries mold, dangerous mycotoxins, and is heavily sprayed with pesticides that lead to chronic disease. It's also acidic, causing stomach issues, and many have to stop drinking coffee as they get older because it irritates their stomach lining. And that is why I started drinking Life Boost Coffee. I wanted something that had all the health benefits with none of the mold and chemicals found in regular coffee. Plus, it's a shade-grown coffee, which is naturally a low-acid coffee that doesn't hurt my stomach. They have hundreds of testimonials of people who couldn't stomach traditional coffee, who can now enjoy coffee on a daily basis without any digestive discomfort. They also third-party test for 450-plus toxins, including mycotoxins, molds, heavy metals, pesticides, and even glyphosate, just to make sure it's the cleanest healthiest cup they can provide to their customers. I also really like these guys because they build schools for the farmer's children near the coffee farms where they harvest their coffee beans. And they are corporate sponsors of the Rainforest Trust to prevent deforestation and protect wildlife. They really care about the environment. And because you're listening to my podcast right now, you can get 50% off your first order by going to www.lifeboostdeal.com. That's L-I-F-E-B-O-O-S-T-D-E-A-L.com. They serve a variety of organic coffees as well as healthy, low-acid, flavored, and decaf options. This isn't just an ad. I'm a Life Boost customer as well. Life Boost Coffee is low-acid, shade-grown, clean, and free of toxins, and it tastes amazing. Just go to, again, www.lifeboostdeal.com to get 50% off now. In this podcast, I am being interviewed by my friend, Jason Prawl, who runs the Awaken Collective. And this was part of his recent, very popular uh, event that he did. It was called the Ultimate Holistic Health Summit. And he had a lot of great speakers in this. And I did a presentation all about blood sugar stability, about uh, improving insulin sensitivity and becoming a fat burning machine. And so in this presentation, I talk about the health impacts of high insulin, how to burn sugar and fat for fuel, and five ways to prevent blood sugar spikes. So it's a deep dive with some of my top strategies for stabilizing blood sugar and turning on fat for fuel, turning on your own natural ability to burn fat and to create metabolic flexibility where you have this balance where your body is really good at burning fat, but also good at burning sugar when you need to. So you have all day energy, you're able to sleep great at night, you've got the best physique and your brain is really clear and mentally sharp. You guys are gonna get so much out of this presentation 
And if you know anybody that's struggling with their metabolism, struggling with blood sugar and insulin resistance, then definitely turn them on to this, share this podcast with them. And if you haven't left us a review and you enjoy the content I'm putting out, please do that. Your reviews really matter and they really make a difference for me. So it helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community here. And let's go into the show. Well, I'm so excited to announce our next guest. Dr. David Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine and runs one of the most popular natural health websites at drjockers.com, which has gotten over 1 million monthly visitors. His work has also been seen on the popular media outlets such as The Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. Dr. Jockers is the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, as well as the book, The Fasting Transformation. He is a world-renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, inflammation, and functional nutrition, and is and, and he is the host of the popular Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. Dr. J, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much, Jason. Always great to be on with, with you and uh, connect with you on natural health. First of all, if, if people haven't seen your, your website, uh, drjockers.com, um, I just want to praise you for that. Um, it, it's, it's even a source for me when I'm looking up something that I, that I want to get a quick resource. You, you outline things so well. Um, it's so brilliantly done. So I definitely encourage people to go check out uh, all the, the information there because you really go into great detail with amazing diagrams. So anyway, just a quick plug for your website because I, yeah. I don't see that a lot with, with websites, and I, I know that's why yours is so popular. Well, thank you so much, Jason. That means a lot, especially coming from you. So I want to pick your brain on metabolic health, fasting, um, yeah. intermittent fasting, because this is a, a topic that I think many people, to be honest, even the, some of my friends and that, that might consider themselves healthy and, and a little bit younger, I think they don't understand um, how important blood sugar regulation is. So if somebody doesn't want to go keto, that's cool. You know, if, if they don't want to do a ton of fasting and things, maybe that's okay too. But if we're not regulating blood sugar and we're not mm. keeping that fairly stable, then that's 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 going to lead us into a, a bunch of metabolic chaos and eventually chronic illness. And if anybody's dealing with chronic illness, then this is a, a primary place to start, right? So I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. How, how do you work with people on that sort of blood sugar regulation in terms of chronic disease and getting people healthy? Yeah, absolutely. So critical. I mean, we know that sugar needs to be tightly regulated. Sugar is an energy source, right? Our cells can use that as, as an energy source. However, when blood sugar is elevated, the sugar molecules themselves will actually combine, they'll actually connect to proteins and create something called advanced glycation end products or AGEs. And so, you know, if you spell out AGEs, like what do you think that does? Accelerates the aging process. And that's exactly what it does. It creates these sticky proteins that damage the endothelial lining of our blood vessels. They damage our kidneys. It's like shrapnel going through our kidneys, damages our nerves. This is why somebody, when they have uncontrolled diabetes, what do they end up having? Like people don't just, just die of diabetes. When somebody has diabetes, that blood sugar, that high blood sugar and these AGEs destroy their kidneys. So they end up with kidney failure. They end up with peripheral neuropathy because the nervous system, the nerves actually become damaged. So they can't feel their feet, for example, or they, they get optic neuritis because they can't see now because the optic nerve becomes damaged. And they typically die from heart disease because the blood vessels become so damaged and plaque builds up and they have a stroke or a heart attack or something along those lines. So in order to protect against these AGEs, we produce insulin. And insulin's job is to get sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells. And insulin tells the body 
to grow and tells the cells to divide. And this is important, especially if we're growing, right? Like if we're a child and we're growing, we need, you know, some, you know, pretty much insulin elevated to, to some degree quite a bit throughout the day. Or if we're a bodybuilder and we're trying to, you know, really pack on muscle, we need that signal of growth and cell division. But most of the people, particularly people that are listening to this right here, we actually want to really control the signal of insulin. We only want it to be slightly elevated for short periods of time throughout the day. And mostly we want it to be very quiet in our body. And when it's quiet, when it's under a certain threshold level, it's hard to know exactly what that threshold level is. Although when we look at when I look at fasting insulin, like if, if somebody does a 12 or 14 hour overnight fast and they get their blood work done, I like to see it under six, under six units. Um, so what that, that's kind of where we look at it and how we test it. We want to see it under six, roughly two to six, somewhere in that, in that range. But when it gets under a certain threshold, it tells our body, okay, we can burn fat for fuel. And we can actually start to really focus our energy on healing and repairing. When it's over this critical threshold, it tells the body, okay, store fat, let's store fat, let's turn on inflammation, and let's div divide cells. Let's create more cells. Let's divide them. Let's reproduce cells quickly, right? So it's a growing hormone. And so again, when it's turned down, we heal and repair. When it's turned up, we're growing and dividing. And so really throughout the day, we might only want, let's say like maybe two short periods, maybe three where we have insulin over that threshold for let's say an hour or so, you know, to kind of digest our food, process the nutrients, get the nutrients. Insulin is very important for getting nutrients into cells, right? Getting magnesium into your cells. So you can use energy like insulin is so critical for all cellular energy production, but we want to keep it controlled and only slightly over that threshold for short periods of time, only a few times throughout the day. And other than that, we want to keep it down so our body can really heal, repair, recycle damaged components. This is one of the cool things our body does. It's called this process called autophagy, where we actually take damaged proteins, we actually tear them apart, take the raw materials and create new healthy proteins, new healthy mitochondria, which produce all the, all the energy within our cells. We actually recreate new cells, right? So we actually like refurnish the cells and uh, you know make them almost like brand new from the inside out. We can only do that when insulin is under that threshold level for a certain period of time. So it's really this, this dance of keeping blood sugar under control, keeping it from getting too high getting the sugar into the cells where it can be used for energy, and then only having a slight insulin elevation for a short period of time, one to maybe three times a day. And again, for only a short period of time uh, when it does elevate and then keeping it down under this threshold so we can really burn fat and repair our, our cells from the inside out. I, I love what you're saying. And I think what comes to mind as you mentioned this is, okay, how do I know? Right, because um, look, some people have been maybe diagnosed perhaps with 
prediabetes or diabetes or metabolic syndrome, or am I given some of these labels? Um, or maybe not. Um, maybe I just have a feeling that I'm pretty healthy, but how do I even check for this type of thing, whether it's with tests or if there's any sort of functional ways to determine how well I'm actually utilizing blood, uh, blood glucose and getting that into the cell and, and am I spiking insulin? And if so, how long, like what, what's the practicality here from, from a, a user perspective? For sure. Well, there's a couple of things we can look at. One is glucose, fasting glucose, right? So typically we want to keep that under a hundred, right? That's typically what we're looking at on a fasting glucose. And you can also wear a continuous blood glucose monitor, a CGM, which actually looks at where your glucose levels are throughout the day, right? So if you eat something, let's say you go and you eat an apple, your blood sugar was, let's say 90 and it jumps up to, you know, 140, right? You may not have had a really good response to that apple. It may have elevated your blood sugar too much too quickly. So you can kind of look at that. Typically with your meals, you only want to see your blood sugar go up 20, 30 units, maybe um, somewhere in that range. If it does go up high, you want to see it drop down pretty quickly within an hour or so, but not drop down too low, right? So if it goes up, let's say it goes up to 140, you want to see it drop back down to 90 or so, 90, 80, um, you know, within two hours for sure, right? And you should feel energized, right? If you, if you have to produce a lot of insulin during that period of time, then oftentimes what happens is, within that first hour or two, when you're producing all this insulin, it's very energy demanding. Um, you oftentimes will feel fatigued and you will also oftentimes feel lightheaded and hungry and have cravings, right? Especially if it drives that blood sugar too low. So that's a big factor. And if you're insulin resistant, one of the, these are some of the body signs. We'll go back into labs uh, before we're done, but some of the body signs that you'll notice is you'll eat You'll have a lot of cravings for sweets and sugars and, and just carbs in general. It might be like salty carbs, like uh, like chips or something like that. So you oftentimes have these carb cravings, but then you'll have the carbs and you'll still have cravings, right? And the reason why is because insulin is what brings the sugar and the nutrients into the cells. But if your cells are not responding well to insulin because they've downregulated their insulin receptors or insulin receptors aren't. You know, insulin is like a key opening a door on the cell, okay? And you have to have a, no, a number of doors and the keys go in and they open those doors. And so what happens is as your body's producing a lot of insulin, it's constantly feeding these cells and the cells respond by saying, hey, I've got enough, right? Or, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to produce too much. I don't want to have too much glucose in here. I don't want to damage too much of my mitochondria because whenever we're producing Whenever we're, um, whenever we are producing energy from glycolysis or from burning sugar, we produce a lot of oxidative stress, a very dirty energy source. And so it damages, it's like bad. It's like a whole bunch of exhaust that we're producing, you know, that we're releasing from our car. Um, so we are creating a real toxic environment in the cell. So one, one of the things that happens is the cell now reduces the amount of doors and the doors don't open very effectively. So now insulin has trouble getting sugar and other, you know, other nutrients into the cell. So you eat the sugar, you eat the carbs, but you didn't get it actually into the cell. And so now you're like, okay, uh, I'm still, I'm still having cravings. So a lot of people will eat a big meal. They'll have something sweet at the end of the meal because they're craving the sugar. And yet they still have the cravings. This craving still didn't go away. If you're having a lot of fatigue after meals, right? That's a sign that again, you're, you're, you're probably producing a lot of insulin with that meal. So that's a big factor. If you have abdominal fat, 
right? So if you look down, okay, especially for a man and you cannot see your toes, right? For women, you know, you have breast tissue that could get in the way. For a man, if you can't see your toes, when you look straight down, that's a sign you've got this excess belly fat. If you've got excess belly fat, that is a classic sign of insulin resistance and that you've got this visceral fat. It's kind of fat that produces a lot of inflammatory cytokines, a lot of inflammatory compounds and surrounds your, uh, your major organs, right? And that actually increases your risk of um, cardiovascular disease, of you know, all-cause mortality, basically. And so you, you want to make sure that that's not the case. Um, also, some other things with insulin resistance, you might have skin issues. A lot of people with insulin resistance have skin tags, like little uh, patches of skin that are kind of pulling off. You know, they're, they're, they're oftentimes pigmented. If you have skin tags, you know it, right? People have said, hey, what's that? What's that, that thing on your skin? So skin tags are common. Um, acne is common with blood sugar reg- dysregulation and insulin resistance. So if you're having consistent acne, it's another sign. If you're having age spots, like a lot of like kind of brownish or pigmented spots, that is another sign. That's kind of oxidation, browning of this tissue. So your cells are actually um, there. The, the aging, the accelerated aging process, we talked about those AGEs. That's how you see it on the skin, right? Now, you may not see it. For some individuals, they get more of these skin symptoms. Other individuals don't. Um, If you're a woman, it can cause high testosterone. So high insulin can actually cause higher testosterone in females. For some females, genetically, they get higher estrogen, and they can often end up with issues like uh, endometriosis, PMS, um, you know, as they get into to menopause, just hot, more hot flashes, low libido, things like that can all be associated with insulin resistance. But PCOS is a really common one where the female, they have higher insulin and they have higher testosterone and they start to develop um, these different cysts in their ovaries. And so oftentimes that's in combination with the acne and we'll see that, that combo and it's associated with this insulin resistance effect. For males, Males get males elevate this enzyme called aromatase, which actually takes testosterone. Males normally should have really good, healthy levels of testosterone, but it converts the testosterone into estrogen. And so they actually have higher estrogen, lower testosterone, which for a male can lead to things like depression, uh, different mood disorders, low, just mental drive, right? Just kind of feeling really, really complacent. Of course, low sexual drive lower muscle mass, even breast tissue, man, man can start to form. And you'll see it. Like if you walk in, if you go into an airport and you just kind of watch people, you're going to see a lot of men with these large bellies, kind of some breast tissue uh, forming, you know, if anywhere you go out and you, you start watching people, you see a lot of people with these types of patterns all associated with insulin resistance. So that is a big factor. So looking at your fasting blood sugar, your continuous uh, blood sugar, and seeing how your body's responding after meals. You can also look at your fasting insulin. In fact, if you get blood work done, like if you go in uh, every year to get your physical from your doctor, always ask them, can you please test my fasting insulin? It's a pretty easy add-on. Most of the time insurance will cover it. Your doctor just really has to have the, I guess, you know, the, the, the courage or the ability to listen to you and actually add it on. If you can't get it from them, you should get it from a functional doctor. We test it on everybody. Um, and we want to see that under six, right? So again, roughly two to six. If you're not producing any insulin, that's a problem too. Um, you need right. insulin. So we want some level, but we want it low, two to six. And I'll see a lot of people where their blood sugar, their fasting blood sugar looks good. 
their hemoglobin A1C, which I'll come back to, looks good, but their insulin is really high, 8, 9, 10, 15 sometimes. And they're like, I can't lose weight. It's like I exercise, I'm trying to eat right, and I just can't lose weight. I just have this chronic pain in my back, right? Chronic inflammation can be associated with insulin resistance. So these are major factors. Now, hemoglobin A1C, when we look at that, that is actually a test looking at specifically at glycation, right? So we're looking at, again, we talked about the AGE formation. So the, the sugar molecule itself will age hemoglobin, right? Which is, you know, the, the, the major uh, protein in your blood cell that helps carry oxygen to the, to the tissue. And so it will, it will damage that. And we look at the amount of red blood cells that are glycated or, or, or damaged. And we should have that under roughly under 5%, like 5% or less is typically what I'm looking at. If it's like 5.1, 5.2, I'm not, not too concerned, but if it's up over 5.2%, like if it's 5.4, it's not going to be flagged on a test. Your doctor, in fact, will say, that's really good because in order to be diagnosed with diabetes, I believe it's 6.5% needs, need, mm. uh, you have to have a hemoglobin A1C at 6.5%. I believe I may have, be, have this wrong, but I believe prediabetes is like 6%, something like that. But anything I see up over 5.2%, I'm thinking, okay, this person's got higher amounts of blood glucose, right? So then I look at the insulin. How is insulin? How is your fasting blood sugar? If I see that your fasting blood sugar and your insulin looks good, then I'm thinking, well, you probably have higher amounts of stress. Maybe you're not sleeping well, and that could be driving up blood sugar. Maybe you're taking too much caffeine because caffeine will stimulate your liver to produce more glucose into the bloodstream, right? And so you're telling your body, okay, I need higher blood sugar because I need to be in fight or flight and you have higher blood sugar, right? But your insulin you're not insulin resistant if your insulin is down but you have this higher amount of hemoglobin A1C. So we're looking at that pattern. What is the fasting glucose? What's the insulin look like? And what does the hemoglobin A1C look like? And there's even a test called HOMO IR. There's some people that are um, lean mass hyper responders. I'm actually one of them where my blood glucose, even though I would love to see, you know, like uh, I love to see it when people's fasting blood sugar is like in the seventies and eighties and they feel great in the morning. They're not like fatigued. They don't have trouble waking up. Uh, they feel great in the morning and their blood sugar is low. Mine tends to be running in the nineties, 95, but my insulin levels are really low. My insulin levels are like typically three, four, somewhere around there. And my hemoglobin A1C is good, right? And so it's usually around five. Sometimes it's under. I've had hemoglobin A1C readings of like 4.5, 4.7. And I feel great throughout the day. So this is a sign that my body just tends to have a little bit higher fasting uh, blood sugar. And that's okay because again, the insulin resistant, the insulin sensitivity is good. My body just tends to run better that way, right? And so every every human physiology is is a little bit different. That's why we like to look at, you know, a number of those factors and we're looking at all of those put together. We may also look at like some some inflammatory markers like uh high sensitivity C reactive protein. We always want to see that under 1, ideally under 0.5. Um and so if we're seeing that higher, that's a sign that there's inflammation. It could be coming from an infection, could be coming from insulin resistance. 
um, could be coming from, you know, even if like you took the blood work right after you did a workout or something like that, right? You could see a higher high sensitivity C-reactive protein, but we're looking at it. We want to look at it come more in an isolated mode where the person hasn't worked out for a day or two. And uh, we're seeing for us higher signs of, of inflammation there. We'll look at the sedimentation rate of the red blood cells. And we want to see that that sedimentation rate, the, the, the red blood cells are not sticking together. Right. So we like to see that under 10 millimeters per hour. Right. So it's, uh, you know, the blood's not just all sticking together and um, coagulating. Right. So we're looking at factors like that as well um, to look at overall metabolic health and inflammation levels. I just wanted to take a moment and interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my new favorite products. It's the Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex. If we're going to thrive in life, we've got to keep inflammation under control. We know that chronic inflammation is at the root of every degenerative condition. And turmeric is the most well-studied herb for supporting a healthy inflammation response in our body. It really supports good, healthy blood flow, joint health, brain function, our ability to have a healthy mood, memory, mindset. And so when we look at what's out there on the supplement market when it comes to turmeric, most of the supplements are using one isolated compound called curcumin and curcumin is really really powerful however what most don't really fully understand is that turmeric whole food based turmeric has nearly 300 other beneficial components other than just curcumin now the issue with turmeric is that it has notoriously low bioavailability on its own so it's very hard for our body to absorb it really needs fat and also warming herbs really help support the absorption. You think about like a curry, for example, this famous Indian dish, they've got a lot of turmeric in there. That's why it's kind of orange colored, but it's usually in a coconut milk base and it has warming herbs like black pepper, ginger, different things like that in there, cloves. And so Paleo Valley, this is what they did with their turmeric complex. They put in coconut oil, they put in black pepper. The combination there has been shown to increase the absorption of all the different compounds in the turmeric by 2000%. So they've dramatically increased the absorption level there. And they added in organic ginger, rosemary, and cloves, which are warming herbs that really support digestion, help you fully pull out as much of the nutrient value out of the turmeric as possible. These herbs also are great for supporting healthy inflammation, the immune system, they're great for the brain, uh, and they're also great for blood sugar stability. So they're all in the Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex. And guys, you can save 15% off this product by going to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers and using the coupon code jockers at checkout. That will save you 15% off your order. If you want to thrive in life, you've got to keep inflammation under control. Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex is really the best supplement out there for helping support a good inflammation process and allowing you to live at your best. So try it out today. I, I, I love what you're saying because this is, the, you know, it's interesting. These continuous glucose monitors that you, you know, wear on your on your shoulder, your tricep area, um, they've they've become more popular these days. And and what what I've noticed with people that I've chatted with about these is that it's this it's the exact thing that you're mentioning, which is that this blood sugar can be all over the map for people who are relatively healthy, 
um, perhaps even younger and, and metabolically fit, so to speak. Um, but there's this individuality that, that comes with it. Um, and so it's, I have a friend, same thing. He runs in the nineties and he's like, what the heck? He can't get it down. Right. And, yeah. and, and it's this reminder that there's, there's other things at play here, both from your constitution perspective, as well as these other hormones that are, that are, if they're in okay shape, then we're okay, right? Like we don't need to be, there is no perfect sort of range to be in, so to speak. And then I have another friend who, who at night will drop down into the quite low, into like the 50s and 40s uh, at night. And so um, now perhaps there's some things we can do there, but it's, it's this idea that these continuous glucose monitors, I think are fantastic um, for a lot of people because it, it really informs you of what's going on. And then when you work in some of these other lab markers like insulin and hemoglobin A1C and some of these other inflammatory markers now can get a complete picture of what's going on. And so you mentioned yeah. something um, with like the apple, for example, right? So let, let's just let's just kind of walk through a couple of examples. Um, I eat an apple and my blood glucose spikes up pretty high to, to 150, right? A, is that a bad thing? B, if it is a bad thing, how can I mitigate that? And what's it telling me? You know, like how can I learn from some of these things? Totally, and that's a really good uh, that's a really good example right there. So in general, we don't want to see blood sugar jumping up a whole lot, right? We we tend to want to just see possibly like a twenty to thirty point jump, not much more than a thirty point jump with meals, ideally. Um, so if you are seeing that on a regular basis, that food may not be the best food for you. Now, with the apple. You know, one thing that you may try to do is add some protein. When you eat the apple, have some protein with it. And, and really in today's society, apples, a lot of the apples are really hybridized, right? Like I have an apple tree and the apples that come out are sour. They're like sour. They're sour and sweet at the same time, right? It's like a very sour sweet. And those are much lower sugar and more, they're more nutrient dense, right? So they have more compounds that are anti-cancer, right? And just a lot better for us. Whereas you go into the grocery store and you get your honey crisp, which uh, my wife did a uh, apple test with my kids, part of their homeschooling, and they all love the honey crisp the best, right? It was like a blind taste test. And the honey crisp is like hybridized to, uh, you know, to have higher amounts of sugar to be everybody's favorite. So they buy it at the grocery store, right? Um, so a lot of the apples in, in, you know, that you get at the grocery store, unfortunately, are really high in sugar. And so you do have to be careful with that. Now, one thing you can do is you can combine it with like, like, for example, most people love like apple with almond butter, right? So now you got fat and protein there. That's going to slow down the release of the sugar. And then you add in some cinnamon. Cinnamon will actually activate the GLUT4 receptor, which, um, which actually is a, which actually helps get the, uh, sugar into the cell more effectively and enhances insulin, insulin sensitivity, right? So it helps clear that blood sugar faster and more effectively. So cinnamon can be really, really helpful here. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a, just a great combination right there is add in some almond butter, add in some cinnamon. So now you kind of have that great combination right there. Another thing you can do is before you eat fruit, like fruit should be a reward after you did some work, right? Like you do some work outside, like, you know, you do a workout or you just did yard work or whatever it is where you put your body in a state of metabolic demand, right? Where you were burning calories, you were sweating, and now you're using it as kind of a replacement. You're getting electrolytes there. You're getting some antioxidants uh, and some, some quick carbs and some water, some structured water to put back into your system. But your body 
you're more insulin sensitive and your cells themselves will grab more of that sugar out of the bloodstream quicker because they're in a state of metabolic demand. Like they, you're, you're in a, a fasted, you're, you're in a fasted state and you're in a state where you've just done work. And so therefore um, your blood sugar is lower and your body's able to actually take on that sugar more effectively and use it as a replacement. So if you're just, I always say, you know, watermelon, when it comes to watermelon, it's a high sugar fruit. I say watermelon is, is for the people that are outside playing flag football uh, on, on July 4th, not the, uh, not the, not the guys that are sitting there on the patio watching everybody play flag football, right? It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's for after you do some, some intense work. And that's why a lot of these fruits, you know, when, when are they ripe? In the summertime, you know what I mean, right? So our apple tree, we get the apples in typically in July, um, you know, watermelon. When does everybody eat watermelon? July 4th, right? It's hot. There's some intense heat. These things are great electrolyte replacements, great structured water back into your system, but you should be consuming them after you do work. And that's how that's, that should be the mentality that you have. And therefore you're going to have better um, blood sugar tolerance. You're going to have better insulin sensitivity. You're gonna be able to buffer that sugar response. So that's what I would say right there. And I think if you do that, you'll notice that you don't get the, those spikes in blood sugar with it. Yeah. And that's what my, uh, I mean, that's what evidence has shown me too. It's like, it's, it's really wild when you play with some of these things, you eat some fats and some proteins with some of these higher glucose meals. And it just like, it totally blunts that, that response. And the other thing I would love for you to hit on is, um, even if it's, let's, I mean, what does it say about the individual? In other words, their metabolic response, how, how can we use that as a tool to maybe suggest that, oh, I'm not necessarily utilizing this glucose well. Um, how can I become more better metabolically fit so that later when I eat that apple, even if I eat it just by myself, it doesn't yeah. spike so high? Yeah, for sure. And this is one of the beautiful things about intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, when you do this or this time-restricted feeding and you eat your meals in kind of a confined eating window, uh, during the fasting window, let's say you eat your meals in a six hour eating window, meaning you only eat calories between, let's say 12 PM and 6 PM each day. Now you have a long fasting window between 6 PM and 12 the next day. Uh, and, and during that window, you are breaking down and, and, and reducing the amount of stored sugar. We all have this stored sugar. It's called glycogen in our muscles and in our liver. So as we break that down and we get down to a certain threshold level, then we start to burn fat as our primary fuel source. When we consume food, the next time we consume food after that, our body really prioritizes increasing the glycogen, right? Especially if we're combining exercise with this, because it, you know, it's kind of this uh, survival instinct that says, you know what? I don't know when my next meal is going to be. I need to make sure I've got enough of this stored sugar just in case you know, a lion chases me, right? Just in case I'm in a survival period, I need quick energy. And that's the great thing about burning sugar is we can burn it very quickly and get energy quickly and without the presence of oxygen. So you think about it, if you're running, okay, for your life, or, you know, if you're just exercising, you're having to produce a lot of energy in an anaerobic state without oxygen. And that's when we burn sugar for fuel. And a byproduct of that is acid. And that's why sometimes, you know, your legs will burn, your muscles will burn when you're working out really intensely because we're getting a buildup of that acid as a byproduct, metabolic byproduct of burning sugar for fuel. The body always wants to have a certain amount of sugar. And the more that we are doing things like intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding, and getting good quality exercise in, 
the higher amount of stored sugar your body wants to have available, right? So it says, okay, I need a certain amount. I need, I need a higher amount than somebody who's not exercising and somebody who's eating, you know, every few hours because those people are not training it for survival. They're saying, okay, well, I, I have a continual supply of food and I'm really not in a survival period. I don't need to, you know, to, to create energy quickly because I'm not training my body through exercise to, to have to do that. So when we do this intermittent fasting, we burn down a certain amount of that glycogen. So then when we eat meals during that six hour window, whenever we're taking in carbs, our body wants to quickly use that and put it into this stored form of glycogen, which buffers our blood sugar response. So it takes, so when we consume that apple, we're not going to get this high blood sugar, uh, this higher blood sugar level, because we're going to take that sugar and put it right into the liver, right into the muscles. So we've got that stored form. And we're also not going to get the downside of burning sugar as a fuel source, right? We're not going to produce as much of the metabolic waste because we're not actually using it as an energy source necessarily, at least not at that moment. Um, and because we're storing it again. So that's the great benefit of it. So when we're practicing time-restricted feeding, it gives us a lot more tolerance when it comes to the carbohydrates that we, that we use. And so if somebody doesn't want to follow a lower-carb diet, they really, it's, it's really, really advantageous to make sure that they are doing time-restricted feeding. I'm a big fan you know, of a lower-carbohydrate diet. In general, I find that most people do well with it, but there are some people that thrive on a higher-carbohydrate diet. Um, but I would still recommend they do this time-restricted feeding. And of course, all of us are going to do better with getting more movement, you know, getting good quality movement, regular exercise, resistance training. You know, our ancestors used to walk five to eight miles a day, right? How many of us are actually doing that? Right. <laughs> not many, right? I know I'm not on a regular nope. basis. And so, um, so all of us should be trying to really be intentional about getting a good amount of movement in every single day and also adding in strength training. I can't, you know, recommend that anymore, at least doing three to four days a week where you are lifting weights or doing body weight exercises to really challenge your muscle groups and trying to build lean body mass that when you build lean body mass, you're going to be able to buffer blood sugar, uh, more effectively, because again, you're going to have more muscle tissue to grab up this sugar and put it into glycogen. And you're going to be more metabolically active. Your body's going to be better at burning fat for fuel, as well as burning uh, sugar for fuel. You're going to be more metabolically flexible. So those would be the recommendations, intermittent fasting, regular exercise. There are some other biohacks, things like, um, like cold water exposure, even just doing a cold shower, right? If you want to burn fat more effectively, if you want to have more energy throughout the day, just finish your shower. Like the last minute of your shower, just turn it on cold. And I know it's, it's painful. It's uncomfortable, but actually you will feel so energized when you're done. I tell people start with just 10 seconds and work your way up to, to about a minute at the end of your shower. It's also great for your skin, really helps close your pores, um, really, really anti-aging for your skin, boosts human growth hormone production, great for your immune system, act activates these, these cold shock proteins, which stimulate higher levels of autophagy and cellular cleaning and cell cellular renewal. But that cold exposure will turn up your metabolism, will help you burn body fat more effectively. And it turns up the production of brown fat, which are these mitochondrial dense uh, fat cells, right? And those are more metabolically active and less inflammatory than your white fat and your, your visceral fat. 
right? And so that's what you want to do. That's a simple hack that you can do. In fact, one thing that I, I so I've always, I've been doing cold showers forever, but what I would always do it at the end of the shower. And so this year I, I've challenged myself when I turn on the shower, you know how like that first <laughs> this is not minute, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not fun at all. That first minute it's cold. You're like, oh, I'm just going to let it, you know, you kind of stall so you don't have to get in. I'm like, okay, the moment I turn on the shower, I'm getting in. So what I do is I turn on the shower, I count to three, take a deep breath and I jump in there, right? And I just kind of pump my muscles, right? And I'm just pumping muscles and pumping my blood, right? And that really, really starts to kind of protect me. Like, you know, I, I notice the uncomfortability, but I'm getting that blood flow and I'm teaching my body to drive up body heat quicker. So I actually create more resilience and better, um, better survivability and adaptability to temperature changes. And actually temperature changes are one of the greatest stressors on our body. Like you think about it when the temperature drops like 30 or 40 degrees overnight, everybody's got a sniffle. You know what I mean? Right. It's a, it's a significant stress on our body when we have this sudden temperature change. And so when you practice cold showers, right, just something simple like that, that you can do, it's uncomfortable, but it makes you more resilient, more adaptable. It help, helps enhance your, you know, helps balance your blood sugar levels, um, makes you more metabolically flexible and gives you more immune resilience. So really powerful hack. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're mentioning a handful of things that I think really um, push the edge a little bit when it comes to comfort, right? Because we are perhaps the most comfortable society that has ever walked the earth, right? And and um, I've had the privilege to go work with some indigenous cultures and into some pretty strange places up in the Himalayas. And I mean, these are people that are still living in a very uh, uncomfortable way, and yet mm -hmm. they have adapted. And so I think to some degree, we don't even re realize our adaptive capacity. And so totally. pushing these edges is really, really important, I find for, for as you mentioned, basically becoming anti-fragile, right? Resilient yeah. and, and this ability to build up our, our capacity to adapt. And, and ultimately, uh, this, this creates unbelievable physiological changes in the body that help us thrive as we get older. And, and I think, again, not, this isn't rocket science. It's not something new that, that anybody hasn't heard of, but exercise, right? I mean, especially as we get older, right? I mean, just the movement itself, right? Motion is lotion for the joints. So just that, just that movement uh, on the joints, I've noticed uh, walking when, when you look at continuous glucose monitoring and you eat a meal, mm -hmm. you just go for a, a quick 10, 15 minute walk after a meal, unbelievable response when it comes to blood yeah. sugar and improving that, right? So, um, and that's just, that's just the basics. And then once you start getting into the, as you mentioned, the, the interval training and the, the weight lifting and the, and this resistance movement that really forces adaptation, um, in that sort of muscular skeletal system and the hormones that are related to that unbelievable shift, right? And of course the, the brain, yeah. right? It's, it's the most brain protective thing that we can do is, is movement. It's, it's not, it's not brain exercises. So when we get older, we need to keep moving. That's what's protecting the brain, right? So, yeah. um, there's so much here that I think we can take when it comes to, uh, not only improving our metabolic fitness, but, but re resisting these diseases of aging, right? And, and, and going back to the beginning of this talk, I mean, you, I was listening at, it took note at one point you were listing all these symptoms and I'm like, and this is, this is exactly it. Like it's every disease, every symptom that you can name has a relational component to metabolic fitness. Yeah, absolutely. So critical. And you know, I mean, you think about it, like our ancestors, how many of them had access to actually a cold, a warm bath, 
right? Totally. Very few, right? I'm sure those cultures that, that you came across, I mean, even them, it was all cold, right? So when they, when they bathed, right, it was cold water immersion. And so they were getting that benefit and they were becoming more adaptable because of that. And they were facing these extreme temperature changes all the time and they didn't have air conditioning and they didn't have heat, you know, they had to kind of make a fire or whatever it is. And so they were adapting to all of that. And we've lost that adaptability in our society because we've become so comfortable. And, you know, you were, you were, you were asking about hacks. One of the easiest hacks you can do is like before a meal, here's a couple things, right? Before a meal to help improve your blood sugar stability. Let's say you're, you're having, you know, pasta or, you know, whatever it is, like some, some higher carb meal. Okay do 20 air squats, right? So just kind of do your squats. Even if you've got to do 10 and then you kind of wait and then do 10 more, try to get 20 air squats. If you're fit, maybe, maybe do 50, right? Do something like that. That right there will get your body primed to take in that sugar, put it into the cells. Um, your glycogen will go down. And so now it will increase when you consume the meal, take a little bit of apple cider vinegar, apple cider vinegar has acetic acid in it which not only drives up your stomach acids, it helps prepare your digestive tract for digestion, right? So it helps stimulate uh, stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzyme production. So you're going to digest the meal more effectively, but it's also a postbiotic that reduces inflammation, helps to actually close up the tight junctions in your gut and has been shown to actually reduce the glycemic impact of the meal, meaning the the, the amount of sugar increase of the meal by up to 40%. That's really significant. So just take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and like four ounces of water or so drink that. It shouldn't feel harsh. Like you should, if, if you're taking it and it's like, oh, that burning going down, you need to dilute it more, right? It shouldn't feel like that. You should taste a little bit of the apple cider vinegar. It's not like it's the most pleasant flavor. Um, but, you know, when you drink that, that prepares your digestive system, prepares your metabolic system, your gut for better digestion and lower metabolic uh, impact of that meal. You did your air squats, you know, you're ready to go right now. Take a few deep breaths because when you do the air squats, you put yourself in sympathetic drive, meaning that you're in fight or flight. So now you want to get back into parasympathetic, right? So you take a few deep breaths. Okay. Really Nate focusing on nasal breathing, not out of your mouth, but through your nose. Okay. Long inhale, long exhale. Um, and then you should be ready to go. And then, and then pray before your meal, offer gratitude, right? That puts you in parasympathetic, a parasympathetic mode. And now you're going to get a much better metabolic response to the meal that you consume. Mm, I love that. I just want to interrupt this podcast to tell you how important your immune system is and how it protects you from viruses, bacteria, parasites, and other pathogens. You see, your body was created to overcome the challenges from the environment. However, you must be an active participant and work to make your body stronger and more resilient to stress. And that is why I created our 10-in-1 Immunocharge formula because it's designed to help you do that. As I was studying the immune system, I found that there are critical nutrients that really support your body and give you more immune modulating power. These include things like quercetin, resveratrol, vitamin D, vitamin A, selenium, zinc, vitamin C, N-acetylcysteine, vitamin K2, and magnesium. And I used to supplement with all of these. I was taking 14 different capsules to get all these critical nutrients. And that is why I designed a product called Immunocharge. I actually put all of these nutrients 
in their clinical dosages that actually work in your body that are research-based. And all you have to do is take four capsules a day. So I take two capsules twice a day to help strengthen my immune function, to help keep inflammation under control. And so this really works and it really helps. It's called Immunocharge. You can actually get 30% off by going to store.drjockers.com forward slash products forward slash Immunocharge, I-M-M-U-N-O-C-H-A-R-G-E and use the coupon code Immune30 at checkout to save 30% off on Immunocharge. Whatever you do, you've got to take you got to do everything you can to keep your immune system as strong and healthy as possible so you can be resilient to the different environmental stressors you face. Immunocharge is there to help you with that. Again, go to store.drjockers.com forward slash products forward slash Immunocharge. Use the coupon code Immune30 at checkout to save 30% off today. For me, number one is intermittent fasting and, and time-restricted eating, right? Yeah. So whether you go sort of keto or high fat or vegetarian or whatever your sort of dietary strategy is for, for I'd say 95% of the people, if not more, that sort of time restricted, um, approach is, is the most effective thing to implement. I mean, I, I, and the reason I say 95 is because there's, there's some hypoglycemics out there that can probably benefit from mm -hmm. four five, six meals a day that are high fat, high fiber, high protein, right. To sort of help regulate them until we get them into a more regular eating pattern. So I just want to save for that, that potential as well. But for most people that intermittent fasting, uh, approach is, is really effective for, in terms of the foods that they're eating, what's the mo what's the best approach? I mean, I know you mentioned you got some hacks yeah. here on on higher fat and, and protein loading and figuring out what's going to work best. So, so what do you recommend for for that kind of dietary approach for for somebody who's looking for that metabolically optimal diet yeah. for them? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of a higher protein diet. Now, there's a lot of people out there, particularly longevity experts, that probably a lot of listeners have heard that say, "Oh no, no, don't consume too much protein." Now, I will say this, I'm a big fan of higher protein, but in that condensed eating window, that's the important thing. Unless you're a bodybuilder, bodybuilders are not eating for health, right? They're eating for Correct. performance, they're athletes, right? So they're eating for performance, they're sacrificing their health. Um, so unless you're in that state or you're a newborn infant, right? That's eating high protein uh, every few hours, right? Because they're in a rapid growth state. Unless you're one of those people, right? Maybe pregnant woman, um, then you want to, you got to condense your eating window, like we talked about, right? Or if you're hypoglycemic, but you want to condense that eating window. But when you do eat, I recommend somewhere between 30 to 40 grams of protein in your meal, sometimes more, depending on, you know, how active you are. If you're trying to build muscle tissue, if you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, weight training and things like that, or if you're a high level athlete, you may need more than that. But for the average individual, somewhere in that range, 30 to 40 grams of protein, um, roughly about 30, 30 to 40 grams of fat as well. And then, you know, from there, if you're, that should mostly satiate you. I recommend getting most of your carbs from fruit and vegetables, right? So put a lot of vegetables on your plate, ideally more non-starchy vegetables rather than the potatoes and a lot of the root vegetables. Um, so a lot of non-starchy veggies, herbs, things like that. Um, fruit, I look at as kind of like a dessert especially if you've earned it, right? By earning it is like you did weight training that day. You, you know, you, you um, walked a lot, you exercised, right? Then you get a little bit more fruit, right? So um, if you felt like you earned it that day, consume a little bit more fruit, you know, test your blood sugar, see how you feel after the meal. 
um, and, and use that as a response. But the protein itself will really help you feel satiated. It will help turn on lean body tissue formation. So you want to have a certain amount of muscle tissue. If you are restricting protein, then you are actually going to have more muscle atrophy, right? And that's a big issue, especially as people age, we end up with, you know, people end up losing a lot of their muscle tissue and they become more fragile, right? They get more injuries. Um, they become more metabolically unhealthy because they're not moving very well. They're not doing resistance training and they're not consuming enough protein. And a lot of times they don't have enough stomach acid to really break down and metabolize that protein effectively. But I would recommend higher protein. So again, 30 to 40 grams, about 30 to 40 grams of fat, um, you know, add in different herbs, vegetables, and add in a little bit of fruit as kind of like a, a dessert. Or, you know, if you really want a little bit of a sweet taste, have a serving of fruit uh, where you've got a lot of nutrient density in there and a little bit of carbs to kind of rebuild your glycogen stores. That's typically what I recommend. And a cycle that I'll have people do, because a lot of people are like, well, I just really love, you know, my bread, or I love, you know, this feast meal or whatever it is, is I'll have them do something like five days of low carb eating, lower carb eating, where maybe they give themselves like two servings of fruit a day as kind of their main carbohydrate source. And then other than that, they're consuming, you know, very low carb, uh, doing uh, a lot of non-starchy vegetables, cauliflower, broccoli, dark green leafies, things like that, celery, cucumbers, healthy fats, olives, avocados, uh, grass-fed butter, pasture-raised eggs, coconut oil, stuff like that. Um, and then a lot of healthy protein, grass-fed organic animal products. Really important that we're trying to do our best to get organic pasture-raised animal products because they don't have the toxins, right? When we're getting conventional uh, meat, we're getting a whole lot of pesticides and herbicides that have kind of bioaccumulated in there. Um, and we're also getting poor fatty acid ratios. We're getting lower amounts of nutrients. And the goal should always be maximal nutrients, minimal toxins, right? And so we're trying to do our best uh, you know, to get organic grass fed as much as possible. So we're consuming that that's going to be a very good blood sugar stabilize, stabilizing type of nutrition plan. And then one day a week, I'm a really big fan of having the person do somewhere between a 20 to 24 hour fast, right? That's a little bit deeper fast. We talked about like a 16 to 18 hour fast. And, you know, there are certain demographics that struggle with that. So like a lean menstruating female, who's really, really busy. Maybe they work a full-time job or they've got, you know, four kids like my wife, uh, four young children. Um, you know, so if you're really busy, you're stressed, you exercise regularly and you are young female and you're low in body fat as it is, uh, probably not good to do intermittent fasting that tight of a window every single day, right? Most people in that demographic, some may thrive doing it. Most don't. So I would recommend doing it maybe two or three days a week, kind of like exercise where you just kind of stress your body a little bit a few days a week, but you give yourself rest in between. And on those days, you're consuming meals in like a 12 to 14 hour eating window. Um, or I'm sorry, a, a 10 to 12 hour eating window. Uh, and, and, and then going back to where I was before I went off on that tangent, um, for most people, I like to get them to where they're doing a 20 to 24 hour fast one day a week. For me, I actually do it on Wednesdays. So I eat lunch on Wednesday. Wednesday, I don't do any sort of intense exercise. We're, we're doing this talk on Wednesday. Um, today I walked, I walked my, my, uh, my, my neighborhood. It was about a mile walk and that was pretty much my workout. I'll probably play with my kids later, play basketball with them or something like that. So I try to get movement in, but, uh, but I don't do any sort of intense exercise. I eat lunch and then I fast 
until lunch on Thursday. And I actually break my fast with a workout. So I actually work out around the middle of the day, super intense workout. And then I break my fast uh, right after that. So that's what I like to do. And then one day a week, you have what, what you call your feast day, right? And, and, and depending on how metabolically healthy you are, that could be two or three meals during that day. It could be just one meal where you have a higher amount of carbohydrates uh, during that meal. So that, so if, if, you know, if you love your bread, if you love your pizza, like one of my favorites is um, it's called against the grains pizza. It has some healthier ingredients, but I wouldn't exactly say it's a healthy food, <laughs> but I love it. You know, I enjoy it. My kids enjoy it. So a lot of times on Saturday nights, we have that. That's kind of like our, our higher carb day, right? Our feast day. Um, and so we might have that. We might have, you know, some other stuff that's, that's higher in carbs. And when you do that, you actually train your body. It's called diet variation. And you train your body because you want your body to be really good at buffering uh, carbohydrates coming in from your diet, but also really good at burning fat for fuel. And so by doing time-restricted feeding in you know, that 16 to 18 hour zone is a really sweet zone for most people. And then bumping it and challenging your body a little bit more, like trying to push it to like a one day fast really ramps up autophagy and deep cellular healing. So that's great to do. You do that one day a week. And then you have that feast day where you challenge your body. It's a new way of stressing your body with extra calories and with extra carbohydrates. So your body has to get better at buffering that. So these are kind of mild hormetic stressors that you're doing to your system to make you more metabolically flexible. Mm, I love that. And there's this idea of sort of metabolic switching, right? Being able to yeah. switch into this sort of ketosis-like state, using burning fatty acids when we're, when we're fasted and then burning glucose really well when we, when we take in a lot more carbohydrates. And so, you know, I love the, the picture you're painting here, which is this idea that, you know, when we, when we get more metabolically fit and when we're following some of these, these recommendations and protocols, we can lose weight and we can lose some excess fat. And that's great. Right. I think most people would welcome that kind of a change. Um, if, yep. they, if they're carrying around some extra weight and, and I think what I want to really highlight is that there's a deeper picture that emerges as we, as we create this change, which is that we change our entire health profile, right? And so if we're dealing with thyroid issues, if we're dealing with chronic fatigue, headaches, um, joint pains, skin issues, right? Like on and on, this is an area where we can look at and say, can I improve this? And, and not necessarily in a 30 day window, but for the long term. And if we can get better at blood sugar regulation, insulin uh, sensitivity, all of our hormonal profiles are going to be changing. I mean, there's, there's, there's what, 10 or 12 probably that we can mention that uh, if we wanted to get into a, a physiology class here that, that, that are related to how we use fuel. Um, but ultimately that entire network is going to improve which is going to have huge downstream effects on our on our health profile as we, as we get older. And so this is really a lifestyle change that you're talking about and it's not one that we have to be super strict with. And I know there are people, you know, we have colleagues that are like regimented and they do their thing. I'm more like you. I'm like, "Hey, if I'm out and it's a hot day and we're 
I'm going to go get ice cream with my, with my little guy, even yeah. if it's not organic. Ideally, <laughs> I want it to be. But you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, there's other things yeah. in life that, yeah. that, that are higher on the totem pole for me totally. than, than making some of these dietary mistakes. And if I get most things right most times, then I can actually afford to kind of do some of these more cheat meals. And I can get away with it a little, a little bit better, right? So it is this idea of, of really staying in this good, sweet spot. And then I can, you know, I can... I can go have a beer for crying out loud. And it's not yeah. gonna it's not gonna be the end of me. Right. So this is really where I think we give ourselves a lot of leeway when we when we improve our our metabolic health and and, and just allows for a lot more freedom, I think, as we go throughout our day. Yeah, I, I come I'm in complete agreement. I think that, you know, you really should have the freedom to be able to enjoy the life that you want to enjoy, but you should also have the discipline mm -hmm. to be able to say no to things and not be addicted and driven by them. So you totally. can enjoy that ice cream cone on a hot day, knowing that, Hey, I'm not going to do this for another month. I'm going to do a 20 hour fast or 24 hour fast three days from now and really clean up the damage I may have done to my body here. Right. And you can prepare your body. Hey, I'm going to have this ice cream cone, but we're all going to do, you know, 50 air squats right here before we do that. And uh, we just sweat out a ton of toxins out of our system because, uh, you know, we just did some exercise or we hung out outside today, right? So you're doing different things to help kind of buffer the response. And then when you enjoy that ice cream, you just really thoroughly enjoy it and be present moment in that moment. And not, um, you know, you're, you're not really trying to just fill an emotional need, which is how a lot of people eat, is they're trying to kind of um, almost hide certain emotions, right? dull their emotions through food and through sugar and through, you know, different addictive habits, but you're fully present moment with it and just enjoying the, you know, the, the sweet flavor, the texture and uh, enjoying, you know, enjoying life, right. Um, with people you love. Absolutely. Well, you gave us a lot of nuggets there to, to navigate this, this, this world, because um, again, without, without any sort of data, whether it's uh, symptomology or whether it's through hard data that we can look at on labs or, or the, with a monitor, we're kind of just guessing. Right. And so, um, thank you so much for, for pointing those out and, and tell people where they can find more of your work. For sure. Well, thanks again, Jason, for putting this on. And, uh, it's always an honor to be, uh, be in conversation with you and you guys can find me at drjockers.com. I also have a great podcast, the functional Dr. Jockers functional nutrition podcast. Beautiful. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Jockers, and, uh, hope to see you again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. Appreciate you. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on, or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.